0: Hello, this is Tim Convoy, the pastor of New Life Community Church located in Nashville, Indiana. I'd like to thank you for visiting our podcast, and I trust that God will just bless you and encourage you and speak to your heart as you listen to this message. Thank you again for joining us, and God bless you. Really a great title, Financial Peace, because so many do not have peace because of their finances. And uh, the Bible says that a borrower is slave to the lender. And so, you know, we just have to learn how to get out of debt, and not be the puppet to the puppet master of those that lend it. And so you know this is a great course. I know I've taken it. I've had my kids went through it. It's a great course before they got married. I said, hey go through this course. And uh, by the way, yes you can get married uh, but you have to have all your debt paid off before you get married. <laughs> my My daughter was like, what? We're getting married next year. I said, guess you better hurry. <laughs> But uh, they went through it. And to this day, they, it's still been a great blessing to them. And so I want to encourage you, for those interested, sign up. All the electives are in the hallway. Be sure to sign up. There are small costs to some, other, larger costs to others. And if you do need help financially to be able to take like this class, get with us, and uh, we'll see if there can be a scholarship. Also, on another sidebar, thanks for uh, reviewing that. Uh, last night, I had a... Uh, Texts come in a concerning little Violet Rainwater, uh, who was injured. There was a, they were burning debris from the job site. They're building a, a piece of property, and there was a cylinder in there, a compressed cylinder, that actually blew up in there, and a piece of, of that, the cylinder actually came out, hit her shoulder, and hit her cheek. And it actually put like a, kind of like a paper punch hole in the side of her cheek. And uh, you can imagine how you would be. Quite frantic if you were the parent, and uh, you know, just waiting for the doctor. And she actually went into surgery this morning. Uh, I think it was around 7:30. She's been in surgery. She's been through recovery, and uh, they said she will do well. So it's all stitched back. Uh, there's going to be some more work done in about six months, I think. Christy posted it to the general public on Facebook, and so uh, you can be updated on that. But remember. Be praying for Violet, and, and uh, we're going to pray for her in a moment. And, uh, and just also the parents. But before we pray for her, I also want to put a shout out to the man, Aaron Smith. Who not only drove them up to the hospital, but got back from the hospital at 3 a.m. this morning. And since there was no other one in town to be able to work the sound system... He was the man that stepped up and was able to still come in and take care of the sound. And so to be here like at seven thirty or so to run the sound after getting home at three thirty in the morning uh, is quite a challenge. So kudos. Thanks, <laughs> Harry. I love you, man. Yeah, I tell you, we can't always do what we'd like to do, but to step up and go the extra mile, literally he went the extra miles and uh, made it. So thanks, Aaron. And he's the only one that has permission to sleep during the service. <laughs> Once he has mind regulated, he can then take his nap, fluff the pillow. And by the way, a shout out to Clara and her friends from South Korea. Good to have you folks here from Korea. Blessings on you. <laughs> Blessings on you. I'd like to, as we look at the Lord in prayer and ask you to join with me, we'd like to pray for their country as well. Father, As we come before you, you are a God that hears not only every word we say, but every thought. You hear every emotion. You hear every burden of our heart. And we thank you on Joe and Chrissy's behalf for their little girl, Violet. Thank you, Father, that the surgery went well. Thank you, Father, that that she is young. And even though she had a, a break in her cheekbone, that even this will be healed. And we are believing in Jesus' name for her healing, not simply because of the hands of man, but because of the hand of God. And we ask that she will not have the scarring, that you will protect her from infection, that you will just watch over her and just just help her father to go through this recovery. Help mom and dad as well as they go through this in the family. I also pray against any emotional scarring that... that or fears that may be laid upon her. That, Lord, she would just come through this and she would look back and even the parents would look back and say, God's hand was in it. We bless you, Lord, for protecting her from losing her eyesight or for any worse damages, dental-wise or otherwise. So, Father, we bless you for just her protection and we bless you for her healing. We lift the rainwaters to you today and I thank you for friends like Aaron and the Smiths to just come alongside and be there for them And even also be here for us this morning. And Father, we want to pray for our friends with us today from South Korea. And we pray for the whole Korean peninsula. I pray for Kim Jong-un. And I pray, Father, I pray for this man's salvation. I pray that somehow you will get the gospel to him. That he would accept Christ as his Savior. That his whole demeanor and actions and direction of his heart will be changed to a different direction. But, Father, we pray for safety for people on that peninsula. We ask, Lord, that you will just bring peace to an area that is in turmoil right now. And I'm sure there are many fears there, as there are even in our lands, concerning the events there in Korea. So, Father, I just pray for this family that's with us, this couple with us. And I pray into their lives the peace of Jesus. I pray into their families the peace of Jesus. And I pray into their country the peace of Jesus. We just thank you for what you are doing. We thank you for what you're going to do. And in Jesus' name, we believe you could do great things here and at a distance, Lord. And so we love you, we bless you, and we invite you right now to meet with us during our service. Speak to us from your word, we ask, and we pray these things, believing in Jesus' name. And we all say together, Amen, and Amen, and Amen. Amen. keep praying for these issues. They are not beyond the Lord's control. Amen. Do you believe the heart of the king is in the Lord's hands, and he can turn it whithersoever He desires. He says he can turn it like a river, he can handle it. All right, we are going to be in a very unusual book today called "The Book of Acts chapter 18. I looked at chapter 18 and I said, boy, you know, in these ending verses, there's only 10 verses, but there's like anywhere between four and 40 sermons still in here. But I said, Lord, you hit the fast forward button on your remote, and I can see it in the text, so I shall hit it on my remote, and we will cover the rest of the chapter in one sermon. Amen? I know some are disappointed, but... Buckle your seatbelts. Seat that's right. We're going to cover some territory. Now, we're going to pick it up in verse 18. And I say the Lord fast forwards because in six verses, yes, six verses, He will cover thousands of miles and many months. He will complete the second missionary journey and He will start and be a good third of the way through the third missionary journey in 6 verses. And so he's going to cover some territory. So follow with me starting in verse 6 or verse 18. It says so Paul still remained a good while. Where did he remain? Where was he? Corinth. That's right. He's in the city of Corinth. He stayed there a good while. His whole term, a year and a half. Then he took leave of the brethren And he sailed for Syria. And Priscilla and Aquila were with him. Remember, they were tent makers in Corinth where they met Paul, came alongside and preached the gospel with him. And it says, He had his hair cut off at Sancria. Not Sangria. Could have the same effect, however. He had his hair cut off at Sancria for he had taken a vow. Okay, real quick. I mean, I could drill down deep, but we're not going to. What's all this about? Why, why does the Lord mention his haircut? Which is kind of interesting. I mean, Reeve likes it. You know, he cuts hair. He's like, yes, I love these haircut verses. But why does he mention it? Because Paul was under, apparently, some kind of vow. And under a Nazarite vow, they would grow their hair long. And in their culture, their hair was to be the length of Caesar's. So they could look at a coin and say what Caesar's hair length was. And under Roman law, men had their hair length and length of Caesar, unless under some religious law, like a Nazarite vow. John the Baptist uh, would grow his hair out. He was under a Nazarite vow. Samson, under a Nazarite vow. You remember that guy? Samson. You remember Samson? Long hair, got a cut. Okay. So at the end of the vow, because they would say, something's different about this guy. Uh, He's got the shoulder length hair. He's rocking it, long hair. And uh, they say, what is it about you? Why are not you like all the other Roman citizens? The reason being, he says, I'm under a vow. And at the end of it, he would not be like Caesar. He would then shorn it off. He cut it right down. And so when he left Corinth, he probably didn't want to shock everyone in Corinth. So he waited until he left. Got to Sancria and then cut all his hair off. And then he'll go to Ephesus. So it's interesting that the first and only time they ever meet Paul is with no hair. And then they're going to meet him a little later. He's going to show up with hair. And they're probably going to say, who is this guy? Oh, he sounds familiar. It will be Paul. So he's finished his vow. He gets his hair cut. We all good there? You say, well, what was his vow? You want to know what his vow was? I have no idea. Whatever it was, it wasn't important enough for us to know so God doesn't tell us. Verse 19. And he came to Ephesus, and he left them, Priscilla and Aquila, there. But he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. So he's in Ephesus long enough on a Sabbath, goes into the synagogue. When they asked him to stay longer with them, he did not consent. Translation, he said, No, I can't. But took leave of them, saying, I must by all means keep this coming feast or festival in Jerusalem. But I will return again to you, God willing. And he sailed from Ephesus. And when he had landed in Caesarea, which is northern Israel, and gone up, that's Jerusalem, is elevation is up, so even though he's traveling south, he goes up, "...to greet the church in Jerusalem, and then he went down from Jerusalem to Antioch up near what we know as southeast Syria. After he had spent some time there at Antioch, he departed and went over the region of Galatia and Phrygia in order, in other words, in sequence, strengthening all the disciples." So, you see, we just covered a lot of territory. We covered thousands of miles. We covered hundreds by sea, hundreds by land, and months have gone by, and some even believe years have gone by. However, for our understanding, I want to just jump through our maps. We love maps, right? Yes, because they help us to visually see what was going on. Paul's first missionary journey looked a little like this. Well, not a little, it looked just like this. Far right was Antioch, and he sailed down to the island of Cyprus with Barnabas. And then they went north into uh, the area we know today as Turkey. He landed in Pergamum, went up to Antioch of Pisidia. He then went down to Iconium, Lystra, Derbe, and then home. And so and he actually went back the same route. It was on this trip, when he's in Lystra, uh, that Timothy will be saved. He's a young, probably a teenager by this time. Uh, he'll get saved during this trip. When Paul comes back on the second journey, uh, it'll be about five years later, and then Timothy's going to join the group. So his first trip, he went up this way. Second trip, he started there where the circle is. That's Antioch. And we have followed Paul across what's now modern day Turkey. And that green area, remember that's Galatia. We saw that he'll go through Galatia again. So he goes through Galatia. Galatia was occupied by the tribes known as the Gauls. They were a warrior tribe and, and the Gauls were a protective fence for the empire. That's why their region goes north and south. And so they went through Galatia and on his second journey stops in Derby and Lystra and Iconium and Antioch. Picks up Timothy along with Silas. And remember they were heading towards the province of Asia in the Roman Empire. But the Holy Spirit forbade them from going to Asia. Remember that? There was a big sign on the road that says, Do not enter. And they said, Huh, we can't go this way. So they went straight north. And they said, We'll go into Bithynia and Pontus. And they went straight north. And the Scripture says that the Lord forbade them to go into that region as well. So they're trying to discern the will of God. And and the Spirit is leading. And they go here and it's a dead end. It seems like, Oh, well, let's go this way. And then the Lord said, Nope, it's not this way. And then they go, this, Go this way. So they traveled due west to the city of Troas. And they, they ran out of land, so that's where they stopped. Here we are at Troas. And at Troas, they meet a man named Luke. Luke is the one who wrote the Gospel of... You guys are awesome. He wrote the Gospel of Luke as a letter to his friend. And he says, Here's the genealogy of this Messiah named Jesus... And here's his ministry, and here's his death, burial, and resurrection. And he sent it off to to his friend Theophilus. And then he wrote a second letter to Theophilus, known as the book of Acts, which is what we're reading. This was his second letter he wrote, saying, you know, here's the Acts of the Apostles after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So when you take the gospel, you take the book of Acts, now you have the history of the early church, right? From the birth of Jesus to the end of the book of Acts. So they picked Luke up, Troas, sailed across into Europe, first time in Europe, and they were in the city of Philippi. Remember Philippi? The deemed possessed girl gets delivered. Her owners are mad because they lost her business. They take Paul, they put him in prison. They beat him, then they find out he's a Roman citizen. They're like, uh oh, Roman citizen. Sorry about that. Let him go told him, please leave town. He leaves. He goes down to Thessalonica. Remember that? Thessalonica is like the top left corner. And in Thessalonica, he preached the gospel. Some of the Jews liked it. Some didn't. The ones who didn't went to the market, got evil men to create a riot, and chased them out of town. He then sailed to the top left point, Berea, or walked. The Bereans said, hey, we like your message, but these rioters from Thessalonica are here and chased them out of town in the top. And they came all the way down to that zigzag on the bottom. Went to Athens and then went to Corinth. Matter of fact, let's zoom in in that area. Aha, just happened to have circles around both areas. To the left is Corinth and Sancria. You see that? So they were in Corinth for a year and a half. They walked down to Sancria, caught a ship, sailed over to Ephesus on the right. That's in that circle Now notice that he now lands in Asia where the Holy Spirit before would not let them preach. So at the beginning of the trip, they couldn't go there. They had to skirt around it come in the front door. And so they come into Ephesus. Now if you notice these little yellow dots, I don't know if you can see them around the cities. There's cities all throughout this area peppered here. What's interesting is Timothy will be a pastor at Ephesus for a period of time. But then one of the apostles is going to be, end up being the pastor of the church at Ephesus. His name is John. He, will, he was the youngest of the apostles and will be the oldest apostle. John will be the pastor at Ephesus until such time that the Romans get mad and put him into the dungeon. Where do they put him into a dungeon at? Patmos. See Patmos there at the bottom? P-A-T-M-O-S. They put him out in the island of Patmos, and there in the island he could only look across the sea uh, to Ephesus and his dear friends that he loved there. And it was on the island of Patmos that he wrote a letter known as the book of the Revelation. Revelation, Revelation, singular, not plural. Everyone said, I've read the book of Revelations today. Uh, It's only one revelation, in case you're wondering. If they ever ask you on Jeopardy, you know, singular, not plural. So he writes from Patmos to the book of Revelation, and he writes to seven churches. Remember that first three chapters of, of the book of Revelation. Writes to seven churches, and all of those seven churches are in what's modern-day Turkey today. Whether it's uh, Perga, Thyatira, Sardis, uh, Philadelphia, uh, Hierapolis, Hierapolis, sorry, and Laodicea, and so all all these churches. It's amazing. I go, wow. When I think of the book of Revelation, I think of him writing to the Jews in Israel. But he was writing to these th- cities outside and surrounding the city of Ephesus. And so that's what, that's what John will then later write to all those churches. But for now, Paul just lands in Ephesus and then Paul is going to leave uh, his party behind and he's going to sail now from Ephesus down to, to Jerusalem. So in our text, he left Ephesus sailed down to Caesarea on the coast, went to Jerusalem, then went back up to Antioch. He just finished his second missionary journey in our text. By the time we get to verse 23, he begins the next missionary journey, his third journey. He'll leave from Antioch again after he's been there for a while, and he'll go back up to the believers in Derby and Lystra, and Iconium, and, uh, and Phrygia, But this time, he's going to be able to come in the back door where the Holy Spirit would not allow him before. He'll come in the back. He'll stop around Laodicea area, and he's heading right down to Ephesus. (sighs) Feel better? Now, we're not going to cover and talk about the maps, even though we just went over all that. That was just for review. Are we good? See, let me tell you, if you can remember some of, this, some of this stuff, you'll say, wow, this will help enhance your thinking when you read through the Scripture. Because remember, at this time, right now, now there's only one book in the New Testament written, 1 Thessalonians. And you'll say, oh, I remember how that came about and where Paul was, etc. So as we come to our text, however, since God put it on fast forward, I'm going to put it on fast forward. And I'm going to, instead of getting down in the weeds, I'm going to get back and take a 40,000 foot view and tell you what I learned from Papa. And what I mean by Papa is an acrostic of Paul, Apollos, Priscilla, and Aquila. And you say, well, that's four points. You'll never be able to get through it. I put Priscilla and Aquila together, so it's only three points. And yes, we will get through it rather quickly. In our text, the first thing I want to point out is I look at Paul. Paul was a man on a mission. In Corinth, he was there for a year and a half. But when it came time to leave Corinth, I mean, this guy was on a mission, wasn't he? And he sets set sail, and he leaves Corinth, and he sails over to Ephesus, as we saw. However, when he got to Ephesus, he wasn't there for a year and a half. He was there for a weekend. He was there long enough for it to be this... I don't know if he got there Friday and he went to the synagogue or when, but during that week, it was just long enough to go to the synagogue and speak. So he gets in Ephesus, he goes to a service at synagogue on the Sabbath and he reasons with the Jews there. Just like he did at the other church. He goes to the synagogue and he'll say, Jesus, the Messiah rather, is going to suffer, he's going to die, he's going to rise from the dead. Point one of his sermon. He always, remember, he always hears the first thing. The Messiah is not coming as a conquering king. The Messiah is going to first come as a suffering Savior. And after he suffers, died, and raised us from the dead, he says, the second point is, Jesus is that Messiah. And so this is, I mean, usually they were pretty good until they said, Jesus is the Messiah, and he just came and we killed him a couple years ago. At that point, he usually lost the audience. So here he is, he goes in a synagogue, and he reasons with them. And something very unusual takes place. They asked him to stay longer. I mean, when's the last time the congregation asked the preacher to preach longer? This is a small miracle. We just missed it in our text. (laughs) It's like, wow, a miracle. They don't happen these days any longer, but they did at one time in the text. So they say, stay with us, stay longer and preach to us. Now, every other synagogue he's been to, they they couldn't wait to get him out. Remember in Corinth, he said, fine, I'm not even going to go to the Jews anymore. It's funny, the first place he stops a Jewish synagogue. (laughs) So he goes in there and he preaches the gospel to them. And they said, hey, can you stay longer? And the idea behind the word ask means to repeatedly ask and ask and ask. However, the scripture says he did not consent He declined. He said, no. Why? His reason being, he said he left them. He said, I must, by all means, must means he's got to do this, and by all means means any means necessary, I've got to accomplish this. And what was it? I must keep the feast that's coming up in Jerusalem. But I will return again to you, God willing. And, you know, even though it's hundreds of miles by sea, hundreds of miles by land, and a long period of time, he says, but I, I'll be back. Now, his reasoning was this. Paul felt compelled to go to this feast. Paul felt in his spirit he had to make this feast. Now, we're not told what feast it is. It could have been Passover. It could have been First Fruits. It could have been Feast of Weeks. It could have been Feast of Trumpets. Or, or it could have been any, any of the feasts that were named. But it, we're not told. So since we're not told, it means it's not important for the narrative for us to know. All that is important is there was a feast, a festival going on in Jerusalem. And Paul says, I've got to be there. And some of their feasts were compulsory, where there was expected attendance. Others was voluntary. Well, they could go or they didn't have to go. But what strikes me is when I look at this text, Paul in his heart of hearts, he said, Man, I've got to get there. And nothing is going to stop me. I've got to make it. And then he leaves. Now, what do I learn from this? It's simply this. Be yourself without judging others for not being like you. You say, Well, what do you mean by that? Why would you why would that be your takeaway? Because where was he speaking? A synagogue. Who do you find in synagogues? Jews. What festival is he going to Jerusalem to participate in? A Jewish festival. A feast. So he tells his fellow Jews, he says, I can't stay. I've got to make it to this feast. I've got to be down in Jerusalem to make it to this festival. Now all these other guys just said, Yeah, yeah we need to leave too. It's almost getting time to go. But... You hear nothing about them joining him, nothing about them going to the festival, but Paul says, you know what, i got to do it. And when I look at this, I realize Paul is no longer under the old covenant. He's no longer under the old Jewish law. But sometimes Paul still held to the customs that he was raised under. Keeping a vow, and then ending your vow by having your head shorn. He, this was a Jewish custom. And yet he, he, he carried it out. He practiced that custom sometimes. He also practiced going to the feast in Jerusalem. Even though he's not under the Old Covenant. Even though he's, he's been liberated from the Jewish law. Yet inside, he felt the need inside to go. And so guess what? He went. But he did not shame the others for not going. He did not put them down for not participating. It's interesting, he will write to a Gentile church in Colossians uh, chapter 2, verse 16. And he'll say to them, So let no one judge you in food or in drink. Don't let anyone judge you about what you drink or what you eat. Or regarding a festival. These are the feasts in Jerusalem. Or of new moons. Or of Sabbaths, worshiping on the Sabbath. He says, don't let anyone judge you, whether worshiping on the Sabbath, or recognizing the new moon, their, their calendar cycle, or the festivals in Jerusalem, or your dietary practice. So it's interesting, he writes to these Gentiles, and he says, don't let anyone judge you in this area. Wouldn't it be nice if you could prevent people from judging you? Because that's what it reads. like, don't let them judge you. I don't want them to judge me anyways. But what's interesting, let me tell you something. People are going to judge you no matter what. Right? And aren't you glad, I'm talking about people at other churches. Aren't you glad that you never judge anyone? People are going to judge you on your practices and what you hold to. And what I find interesting is in the text it says, don't let anyone judge you on this. Now he, you can't stop someone from judging you, but what you can stop is you receiving that judgment, and you taking that judgment upon you. And now you are under this, a spirit of condemnation that says, "Wow, yeah, I guess you're right, man. You know that was that's pretty bad." Have you ever been judged by somebody? Any of us? Anyone? Have you ever judged somebody? Is it chilly in here? Okay, we may want to check your temperature. When my nose is cold and wet, it means I'm healthy, but it also means that it may be chilly. Someone might check that temperature for him. Has anyone ever judged you? Hmm. I remember somebody judged me one time, and it was in a, it was a very convenient area. It was right in the middle of the grocery store. I was in line, and I was like the second one from the register when they pulled me aside and said, Pastor, I really need to talk about this. Okay. And this was literally in another state. And, and it was years ago. Years ago. It was the 90s. But he called me out on something that was very critical. As a matter of fact, it had the potential of keeping someone out of heaven. And he, this was on me. And this was my problem. And I am causing this. And because of my action, this person... These people may not ever get to heaven. What pray tell could be so severe that I was doing that I had to be called out on at the grocery store? It was the fact No, I wasn't buying beer. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to think what well, was in the grocery cart. No, it wasn't. What you know what I got called out on? Because I had a mustache. I'm not kidding you. And he went down with all the statistical evidence of how many people in Florida are lip readers. And they read your lips and your mustache hinders it. You are preventing them from hearing the gospel by reading your lips because of your mustache. I probably had a bewildered look on my face thinking, what? You know, where's a little bottle of spray? go away, go away, you know, was like, and I'm thinking, am I really keeping people from heaven because I had a mustache? I mean, who knows what happened when I had my beard, I mean, good night, now we're really in trouble. And people can't read my lips, well, you know, God created me with 120 font lips, so they're not little teeny font, it's very large font, you can read my lips at a great distance actually. And so I'm sitting there thinking like, okay. And I'm leaving and I'm thinking, am I really doing this? Is this is really a problem. And after it bothered me for that minute, I said, whatever. And I just went on with life. Now, if I let them judge me. In other words, I let their judgment stick to me. I'd be like, oh no, I've got to shave this mustache because it is so evil and wicked and malicious towards those who need to hear the gospel. And you say, well, that's silly. Well, I think it's silly too. I think it's kind of crazy, to tell you the truth. But yet I was accosted for that purpose. And the question is, am I going to receive that? I mean, listen, if I'm violating Scripture, please, please, Feel free to rebuke me. Gently, kindly, in love. Alright? Feel free to call me out on it. I'm good with that. I have a policy. When someone criticizes something, my policy is this. If it's true, I mend my ways. If it's not, it's water off a duck's back. It's like, okay, thanks for coming. See ya. Jesus loves you. (laughs) But what I learned from Paul is that he had a belief in his heart and he had to go there. And it was okay. But he had to be himself without judging the others for not being as he was. You see, friends, we cannot expect others to do, to believe, to act, or to like everything that we do, believe, act, or like. Everybody's, it's called individual soul liberty. Each of us individually stand before God as an individual. I do not stand before God uh, based on what you guys believe and how you guys walk before the Lord. I will stand before God based on how I walk before the Lord and I respond to His Spirit by myself. And you guys don't have to answer for me. Amen? You're like, yes! That's why you don't have mustaches. I understand. But the thing is, I can't expect others had this same burden. Like Paul had this burden he had to be there. And he says, but you know what? My burden, I can't expect you to have that. God will show you. God will lead you. Let God do, be God. Lesson one, be who you are before God without judging others. Lesson two, it's okay to say no sometimes. Over and over they asked him to stay and he could not stay. And, and even though they, I mean, this is pretty wild. Every other synagogue he gets chased out of, this synagogue, when he's got to leave, this synagogue goes, oh, no, don't leave, don't leave. Stay here longer. Now, if you were an evangelist like Paul, you'd be like, what? Stay here longer? It's like throwing red meat to a dog. It's like, yeah, I'll stay here longer. But he's like, no, I can't. I've got to go to this. I've got to take my leave. And he Simply bowed out. You see, friends, sometimes some of the hardest things to say is no. Or no, I cannot. Or no, I can't, cannot right now. Now, for those in other churches and other states that are spiritually lazy, it's not hard for them to say no. You need someone to serve the Lord in whatever ministry, they go, no, nope, not me. No, nope, 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 no, not me. It's very easy. For the spiritually lazy, it's easy. But for others, if your heart's in something, Paul's heart was in this. Paul's heart was all about, he was passionate about sharing Jesus. And he was all in. And so you can imagine how hard it must be to say no to something you're passionate about. But sometimes we cannot do everything. Sometimes we have to say, you know what, I'm just not able. And you know what, that's okay. Okay. Sometimes it's ministry related. Sometimes it's work related. Sometimes it's just your neighbor maybe asking you to do something and you just can't do it. Let me tell you something. It's okay sometimes to say, no, I'm sorry, I can't. And to be at peace about that without having a guilt trip because sometimes if you're anything like me, I don't like to let people down. I don't like to disappoint somebody. I don't like to say, nah, I can help. I can't help because, you know what, my nature, it's my nature to want to help. If I can help, I want to help you. And so for to say no to something is very difficult. I mean, I, I thought about shaving my mustache to that guy. I said, oh, maybe I better shave my mustache. But the Lord said, "What? I had a beard. Don't worry about it. I said, okay. But we need to realize sometimes it's okay to say no. Don't let your view of your image in someone else's eyes dictate how you walk before the Lord. Let the Lord dictate how you walk before the Lord. If the Lord wants you in Jerusalem, you go to Jerusalem. You, if they want you to stay and the Lord wants you to go somewhere, you say, sorry, I can't do that. And you take your leave. So, first of all, first lesson from Paul, I learned to be yourself without judging others. Secondly, it's okay sometimes to say no. And thirdly, Don't commit yourself past the Lord's will. Do not commit yourself past the Lord's will. It's good to make plans. All of us should make plans, right? They say if you don't, if you fail the plan, you plan to fail or something like that. Glenn probably knows it, you know. So if you don't make your plans, you're going to fail. But make all your plans contingent on the Lord's will. It's a good thing to make plans, right? And you want to get this done, you want to get that done, and you make your plans, but you notice the caveat. Paul says, I will be back, I will return, God willing. He says, all my plans are contingent on the Lord's plans. Why? Because I don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. matter of fact, James will write about this. James will say, now listen, you who say, whoever it is that says this in his day, Today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. So whoever says, here's our business plan, here's what we're going to do, he says this, why do you not even, why do you not even know what will happen tomorrow? Do you know what's going to happen tomorrow? How many know exactly what's going to happen tomorrow? Anyone? We don't know. We think we know, but we don't know. He says, what is your life? It is a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Our life is, no matter how long we live, even a hundred some years, it's only, it's a vapor. And it's gone. And then he says this, instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or do that. In other words, if God wills, if it's His will, then this is my plan. Here's my plan. I want to go to the city and I want to do business and I'll be there for this much time. I have, I have to make my plan and make my hotel arrangements and get my car rented, make my flight arrangements. i got to make my plan, but this is what I'm planning and Lord willing, this is what I'll carry out. If the Lord has another plan, His plan is always greater than my plan. You're right. My plans are always subordinate to His plans. We have to have a hard attitude that doesn't say no, no, no. This is how it's got to go, because some, sometimes we get the next day all figured out, and you know exactly you know exactly what's going to do. I went on a two week vacation one time. I planned the whole vacation down to thirty minutes interval. I had like thirty minute cushion between things I was doing. It's like how not to take a vacation. It was really the last time I did that, but yeah, I had a lot of territory I wanted to cover. I had exactly what time I had to leave here, be here, and this and that. Yeah, that, that, that. Uh, yeah, so much for no stress. I was <laughs> like, oh, okay, no more of that. But we make all these plans, but the crazy thing is, we never see the things that can interrupt those plans. And oftentimes, what I, what I call yesterday's fantasies don't match today's realities. So yesterday I had all these fancy What tomorrow is going to be like? Oh, it's going to be great. And then tomorrow comes and the reality of the day did not match what hap- what I fantasized about yesterday. This is what I'm thinking. Oh, it's going to be about this. And yet there were things that came in the day that I had no idea. Some good, sometimes bad. Let me tell you something. When you plan your day, you usually do not factor in the bad. Especially if you don't know about it, Right? You don't say, well, tomorrow I've got to go to this city or that city. But at 1.30, I'm going to have a flat tire. And oh, during that flat tire, I'm going to praise God that I didn't have this accident or that. I'm just going to thank Him for delaying me. And then when I get home, I'm going to find out that the washing machine hose broke and flooded my utility room. We don't have those in our plans, do we? We have this going to happen, this going to happen, and this going to happen. Everything's going to be great. And then when you get there and... Sometimes a little bit happens, maybe nothing happens. Have you ever started your day with like a nuclear disaster? It's like, wow, this is my day? I barely got out of bed this morning. And the whole day. And all you want to do is go back to bed. And <laughs> the Lord said, Tim, make your plans contingent to my plans. Lord willing, I will do this. I learned that from Paul. From Apollos... We're going to zip through this. Verse 24, Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born of Alexandria. Listen to this guy's bio. An eloquent man like Pastor Tim and mighty in this... (laughs) Not. Came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he was passionate, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. That's all he knew about. But boy, he was sure passionate about it. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. Huh, Paul is just in there. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, so they were in the synagogue listening, they took him aside quietly and explained to him the way of God more clearly. So in the synagogue, they're hearing this guy speak. They're like, hmm. Synagogue's over. Can we talk to you for a minute? And off the side they went. After explaining the way of God more clearly, verse 27, and when he desired to cross to Achaia, that's where Paul and them just came from, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. Interesting, the first letter to the Corinthians was written by Priscilla and Aquila and the believers, even though it was not part of the canon of Scripture. They wrote a letter and said, hey, this guy Apollos, yeah, he's okay, he's good. Receive Him. And when He arrived, He greatly helped those who had believed through grace. Man, they believed not through words, but through grace. And Apollos is right there helping them out. And verse 28, For He vigorously refuted the Jews publicly. Not just inside the four walls of the synagogue, but out in the streets. He refuted the Jews, showing from the Scripture that He was mighty in, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ. Wow! I mean, I look at this text. and Actually, the first first lesson I learned was this. Life goes on even when the great Apostle Paul is off the scene. The great Apostle Paul is there and he's gone. And yet life still went on there. Ministry still went on. People are going to come and go and they have for centuries. And God's work keeps continuing. But the second thing I do is I see a guy named Apollos. You talk about a guy that had it all together. He was a Jewish man. He's from a cultured city, Alexandria, Egypt. He was an eloquent man. It literally means a gifted speaker. He was a skilled orator. Uh, history tells us that people would rather listen to Apollos preach than they did the Apostle Paul. That's quite a feather in his cap, don't you think? They're like, man, they like this Apollos guy. Paul speaking today? Eh, I'll be a little late. Don't worry. Oh, Apollos is there. I'll be here early. So he was a gifted speaker. He had a mastery of the Scripture, as we know it, the Old Testament. He mastered the Scriptures and could argue from the Scriptures. He was well-traveled, been to Egypt, Ephesus, now Corinth. Verse 25, he was knowledgeable in the way of the Lord. He was passionate and fervent about God. He taught accurately. Verse 26, he was fearless and bold. Verse 28, he was tenacious (laughs) He vigorously refuted them. I mean, this guy was committed to God. When you look at his bio, when you read his resume, you, you say, wow, first of all, this was a type A personality, What do you say? I mean, this guy, boom, 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 and he had it all together, and he knew this and this and this and this, and it was all this in a bag of chips. You look at Apollos, and I mean, you're like, wow, what a resume. Have you ever been intimidated by guys like Apollos? <laughs> it's like, man, that guy's got it all together. I don't, I don't even know how to spell baptism, and he could preach about the baptism of John. <laughs> and yet, when you look at his greatest quality, and all these things mentioned about his quality, what strikes me is his greatest quality was never listed in his bio. And you know what his greatest quality was? He had a teachable spirit as eloquent a speaker as he was, as knowledgeable about the Old Testament as he was, as as passionate he was about the baptism of John, the greatest thing was he had a teachable spirit. If he did not have a teachable spirit, he would have been passionately incomplete. He would have been passionately incomplete in his message. And yet, he did not reach a point where he thought that he had learned enough that he's okay, here's where I'm at, and I'm not moving from here. He knew there was more room for improvement, more room in his game. And so with his teachable spirit, he was willing to adjust and learn new truths. Now, think about this. All he knew was the baptism of John. How long ago had John preached his message, which was repent for the kingdom of God is at hand? How long ago? It was like over 18 years ago. Think about it. This guy was up in Jerusalem. He heard John the Baptist. And John said, the kingdom of God is at hand. He's like, yeah, we need to repent. We need to be ready for the kingdom of God to start. And when he left Jerusalem and went back down to Egypt, he still remembered that message. And he preached it fervently all through Egypt. Repent, the kingdom of God's at hand. And he's been rep- re- preaching this same sermon for 18 years. You thought I was a long time in Acts. He had one message, 18 years. He preached the, about the baptism of John. And he, you think this guy was committed to this message? Yeah. 18 years he's been at the same theme. And at the end of that sermon that day, when Priscilla and Aquila said, can we talk to you for a minute? And they said, you got the first half. Yes, the kingdom of God is at hand, but you didn't realize because you left town that the king actually came. And his name is Jesus. And here's how he fulfilled the Old Testament Scripture. And while he was here, he fulfilled the Scripture and the lame walked and the blind received their sight and the dead were raised to life. And he actually went to a cross and he died for your sins and died for my sins, but it didn't end there. The Messiah raised from the dead according to the Old Testament Scripture and the Messiah's name is Jesus. Could you imagine preaching the baptism of John for 18 years and now you hear this? And you're like, whoa, where did this come from? Now, if you were really staunch in your belief system, you would say, I have no room for any more truth. I'm staying right here. And he would have been passionate about an incomplete gospel. And yet when he heard this, he was so convinced of the truth by the Spirit of God that by the time he got to Corinth, He sailed across the water. What did he do? He refuted the Jews openly, right out of the scripture, about the baptism of John? No, about Jesus as the Messiah. His total sermon. He got the second sermon now. He goes, good. This is going to last me a lot more than 18 years now. (laughs) And so he got the point two of his message. Get ready. The kingdom is coming. Repent. Here's the Messiah. His name's Jesus. And man, he was fervent about it. And I look at this man, and I said, that's what I need. That's what we need. We need to have a teachable spirit to be able to receive the truths. And, and sometimes, friends, sometimes we can be saved a long time. And we can look back when we gave our life to Jesus and we say, right there, man, that, that's what I believe. Everything right here. Now, the, as far as the gospel, there is no more gospel. Amen? Death, burial, resurrection Jesus. But as far as spiritual truth, if we are not continually learning, we have gotten a spiritual rut and you think that you have all the answers and you do not. I don't know how many decades I was into preaching before I learned, well, you know what, there's other dimensions to this that I did not know and understand, and I learned it more fully, and I embraced it and accepted it in my heart. And I said, Amen. But if I'd have stayed right there, say, No, 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 I learned this right here, right then, and I'm not moving beyond that. Then we do not have a teachable spirit. Paul told Timothy in chapter. Uh, four or two two, verse two he said to timothy the things that you timothy have heard from me among many witnesses commit these to faithful men men generic like men and women who will be then able to what teach others also he says you learned it from me i learned it from someone you learned it from me now you take it to teach someone else And find someone that's faithful. If they're not faithful, they care less about what what you teach them. He said, but you, you find someone that's faithful and then someone who's able to then take that and teach someone else. So you let the cycle perpetuate. I call it, the Lord's looking for fat Christians. Faithful, able, and teachable. Get out there. But if you're not teachable, then you won't teach others. What did I learn from Priscilla and Aquila as I close? Simply this. Much more is accomplished with a gentle spirit than a judgmental spirit. The first time we saw Paul didn't judge the others for not going. It was his personal conviction. But here, Priscilla and Aquila, they heard Apollos preach. They knew he only had half the story. But they didn't judge him. They didn't criticize him. They didn't talk about him afterwards. They didn't look down upon him like, well, he's only got half the account. They didn't look down upon his lack of understanding. But instead, without a judgmental or haughty spirit, as if they had all the answers, they took him aside and explained the Scripture. Boy, that's important. Take him aside. They allowed him to save face. They didn't really say, hey, you up there preaching, that's not right. You don't even know half the story. They allowed him to save face, and they did not publicly embarrass him. Parents, what a great lesson. You want to teach your kids something? Do not Publicly embarrass them, especially in front of their peers. You embarrass them in front of their peers. I don't care how true whatever it is you taught them was, forget it. You're gonna lose them. Be gentle in your spirit. Pull them aside. Allow someone to save face. Yeah, you can you can blow your own horn and you know the answers to that and publicly let everyone know, but you're not gonna accomplish God's will and work. Instead, they took him aside gently. They taught in the Scripture, and Apollos was allowed to learn and grow and blossom. You know, we need to remember sometimes that we may have little deeper truths than someone else may have in certain areas, but remember this, God bless you, you did not always know that truth. Somebody had to teach you. There was a time that you were ignorant as well. There was a time that you did not know as well. Someone had to teach you, and then you grew, and then you grew, and then you grew. Allow others to pour into your life and have a gentle spirit to pour into someone else's life. So that's what I learned from Papa. That's what I learned from Paul, Apollos, Priscilla, and Aquila. Be yourself without judging others. It's okay sometimes if you cannot do everything for everyone. Don't commit yourself beyond the will of God. Always have a teachable spirit. And more is accomplished with a gentle spirit than it is with a judgmental spirit. So, there you have it. We completed chapter 18. Amen? (laughs) But you know what? We've got to look at these. Very surface, very high altitude. And say, you know what? I can learn from each of these. And I need to apply it to my life. Father, as we come before you, we bless you and we praise you and thank you that you sent someone our way. We might have been religious and we may have all the religious answers, but someone shared with us that it's not about religion. It's about having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's about putting our faith in Jesus. And we thank you, Lord, that through a gentle spirit we received the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And thank you over these years people have been pouring truths in our lives. Help us now, Father, as we grow. Not to just say we're going to do this, that, or the other thing. But we're going to say, Lord, my plans are contingent on your plans. My plans are subordinate to your plans. Whatever it is that you want in my life, Lord, that's what I want in my life. And when I make my plans, I want you to know, Lord, that you get to Override all and any plans you want. Because I want to serve you, Lord. And I want to grow in my faith. And I want to grow in my knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord. Speak into our hearts. Father, maybe you're speaking to someone today. Maybe it's had nothing to do with the message. Maybe there's something else deep down in their soul that you've been speaking to them about. I don't know if it's dealing with relationships or finances or just their walk I don't know I don't need to know Lord you know but I pray you'll give them the courage to deal with it today give them the courage to just come and have others pray for them and with them and if there's anyone here that has not yet been born again remind them let them know that Jesus said you must be born again if you're ever going to see the kingdom of God Father speak to the lost that are here or listening over the internet right now Draw us to walk with you. Draw us alongside you now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. Stand with me as we close. Maybe the Lord is speaking to you. Our ministry team is going to come. If you need prayer today, you come. Just come right now. People are here. They're going to pray for you. If you need healing, let us pray for you healing. If you need help and strength in whatever area, you come. You come. Let us pray for you. Folks are here. You come. Don't put it off. That's it. Hey, we have not because we ask not. So let's ask. Say, Lord, here's what I need. Folks are coming. You come. Let us pray for you.